Hi everyone, this is Dr. Jerovic, and in this podcast, we're going to talk about some thyroid issues. Now with the thyroid gland, we can either have hypo or hyperthyroidism. And of course, hypothyroidism is when there's not enough hormones, and hyperthyroidism is when there's too much. And so think about with thyroid conditions, there um, are hormones involved, such as the thyroid-releasing hormone. And of course, that comes from the hypothalamus. There's the thyroid-stimulating hormone, also known as TSH, which comes from the pituitary. And then T3 and T4 actually come from the thyroid gland itself. Now, we can have a problem from any one of these areas, and this can cause the hormone levels to become abnormal. Now, with hypothyroidism, these patients don't have enough thyroid hormone, and there's a lot of various reasons. Now, in some parts of the world, one cause can be iodine deficiency. We don't see this as often anymore because salt is fortified with iodine. Now, the thyroid gland needs iodine to function properly. Um, It is attracted to iodine. Iodine is attracted to the, the thyroid, and it's needed to help produce thyroid hormones. So if somebody doesn't get enough iodine in their diet, they can have thyroid issues, specifically hypothyroidism most likely. Now another issue that is related to thyroid is a goiter. Now a goiter can develop when there is too much thyroid hormone, not enough, or even when the thyroid levels are stable. And this is called euthyroid. A goiter is an enlargement of the thyroid gland. And think about where the gland is located. It's in the neck and it's a little bit below the Adam's apple. and It's almost like a little butterfly shape. So how do we assess the thyroid gland? Um, you're actually supposed to actually actually supposed to stand behind the patient and palpate their neck. And normally you shouldn't be able to pal- palpate the thyroid in a, in a healthy thyroid. But when there is a goiter, it can be palpated. And sometimes the goiters are so large, they can just be visible assessing the neck. And if you haven't seen a goiter, um, Google goiter images and you'll be shocked at how big some of those can be. Now in hypothyroidism, a goiter could be one way for the body to try to get um, the body to release more TSH from the pituitary gland. And then the TSH would then cause the thyroid gland to enlarge, but it still doesn't make enough T3 and T4. Now, another issue can be autoimmune disorders that can cause thyroid problems. And Hashimoto is one of those. Now, Hashimoto's, um, you can actually have hyper and hypothyroidism. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Another thing that could be it is if the thyroid gland is removed, perhaps secondary to thyroid cancer, or if they had to take out part of the thyroid secondary to hyperthyroidism. Um, When we remove that, Um, you may end up with hypothyroidism secondary to the removal of the thyroid. Now, there are um, some treatments used for hypothyroidism, such as um, radioactive iodine. It's iodine-131. This helps to shrink the thyroid gland, which um, can cause hypothyroidism. So some assessments to think about when somebody is hypothyroid, and it doesn't really matter what the cause is, these can be some of the signs and symptoms and things that we would see. So when there's not enough thyroid hormone in the body, it's going to affect metabolism of all body systems. So there will be a lot of signs and symptoms. Um, Cool, pale, or yellowish skin, 
dry, coarse, scaly skin, dry, coarse, brittle nails, brittle hair, decreased hair growth, and this can even include the eyelashes and eyebrows. Uh, my my mother-in-law had it so bad that she actually had lost all of her eyebrows and even some of her eyelashes. Poor wound healing, hypoventilation, pleural effusions, and of course with those you would see some dyspnea. Bradycardia, so decreased heart rate, dysrhythmias, enlarged heart, decreased activity intolerance. Uh, the person may feel sluggish and fatigued. There can be hypotension, decrease in body temperature, and um, definitely some cold intolerance going on. And then there's some psychosocial issues that we have to consider too. It can cause um, depression, paranoia, apathy, where they just don't care about things, um, no energy or interest in things. Um, weight gain is common, constipation, and of course then we could see some abdominal distension, cognitive impairments, um, where there's some slowing of intellectual processing and functioning, lethargy, somnolence, confusion, um, hearing loss, paresthesias, decreased tendon reflexes, muscle aches and pains, changes in uh, menses or anovulation where they do not ovulate at all, decreased libido, impotence, um, some periorbital edema, facial puffiness, um, not painting edema of the hands and feet, thick tongue, hoarseness, um, especially when there's an, uh, a goiter. Think about where that's located and how that could cause some hoarseness. And some uh, deep increased sensitivity to opioids and tranquilizers. So think about if my metabolism is slowed down and if you would give somebody some opioids or, or something that's going to affect them that way, that it may take um, increased time for that to go through their system. Um, weakness, fatigue, decrease urine output, easy bruising, iron deficiency anemia, and vitamin deficiencies. Wow, that's just like a whole lot of things, isn't it? So there are some diagnostic tests that we can do. Um, we can check the T3 and T4 levels. Uh, we can check for the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone, and that's increased, especially if it's primary hypothyroidism. So uh, the body has decreased T3 and T4, so the pituitary secretes more TSH, trying to get the thyroid to secrete more T3 and T4. And so um, we would expect the T3 and T4 to be decreased with hypothyroidism. Now you could see a decreased TSH if there's problems with the um, pituitary gland. And then um, one of the big main complications, like the serious one for thyroid, for hypothyroidism, is called a mixed edema coma. And so for this, the patient kind of goes into a shock-like state. Um, they are very hypotensive. Uh, they are getting to close to circulatory system collapsing. They have decreasing perfusion to the organs. The heart muscle becomes more flabby and enlarged, which, of course, is going to decrease that cardiac output even further. And, of course, when there's a coma, there can be a loss of consciousness. So remember that monitoring that airway is going to be one of the big priorities for this patient. We're going to be watching for that respiratory rate and depth, their SpO2. We're going to apply oxygen if needed. And... Um, 
you know, interventions are going to be respiratory and cardiac issues, monitoring those. And um, we're going to be really careful with uh, sedatives and dosing, watching that heart rate and rhythm. Um, of course, a person in mixed edema coma, um, once we take care of their, their airway issues, potentially, they will get hormone replacement therapy to fix the issue. And levothyroxine is the drug of choice. Um, and then we would be watching the blood levels to see what those are so they could determine the appropriate level of levothyroxine to give. Now, with thyroid medications, it's really important to teach that they can't change brands um, once you start on one, you're kind of stuck with that one um, forever. And that's because each brand has different bioavailability, which just means how much of the drug is actually available when you take it. So with um, your thyroid medications like levothyroxine, um, we're going to teach them to take it as directed. It should be taken in the morning to help keep them from having some um, insomnia. It can happen if they take it at night. They should take it with a full glass of water. It's a really small pill, and that pill can kind of get stuck in the throat. And they should also take it on an empty stomach. And that's because food and other medications can cause the absorption to be um, slowed down, and then they're not going to get the full um, dosing of that. So they shouldn't take it with food or iron or um, vitamins. And um, specifically, like iron and vitamins, they should wait four hours between taking that. So they could take their leave with oxygen first thing in the morning. And then usually by lunch, they would be okay to take their iron. And they should always discuss with their healthcare provider before taking any over-the-counter medication, secondary to any potential interactions with thyroid medications. Now, we should teach um, about how to combat issues as far as like those things that we talked about in the assessment, like how can they avoid the constipation as far as like fluids and fiber and exercise, dry skin, um, using lotions to help, um, not bathing too frequently, and um, making sure that the water's not hot. So all of those types of things to help them with that. All right, so let's next talk about hyperthyroidism. I think I covered everything I wanted on that one so far. <clears throat> so with hyperthyroidism, there's excessive or too much thyroid hormone. So as I talked about, um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, um, this causes a goiter. And if you think of thyroiditis, you have inflammation of the thyroid, so there's inflammation. And initially with Hashimoto's, the inflammation causes the body to secrete more of the thyroid hormone, leading to hyperthyroidism. As this progresses, the thyroid gland gets destroyed, and they usually end up developing hypothyroidism. So that's why with Hashimoto's, you can have that hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism. It is, a, it is one of those things that causes um, hypothyroidism too. Now, Graves' disease is also autoimmune, and um, with this, the patient can also get a goiter as well, and this is, of course, the immune system is producing a protein called thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulin, and the immunoglobulin causes excess production of the thyroid hormones. Now, no matter what the hormone levels are doing in the body, 
um, because the antibody is secreting excessive hormones, causing that hyperthyroidism. So assessments with hyperthyroidism, we would be assessing for a goiter. Um, something that is unique to Graves' disease um, is more exophthalmos, which is E-X-O-P-H-T-H-A-L-M-O-S. I think I spelled that right. And with that, that's that like eyes are kind of popping out or bulging. And what happens is fluid builds up behind the eye, causing the eyes to bulge. Now, another um, sign is something that goes more with graves is called pretibial myxedema. And that's that dry, waxy swelling at the front of the lower legs that kind of resembles benign tumors or keloids. And again, these two are very characteristics of Graves' disease, um, is that being the cause. Now, other things that we can see with hyperthyroidism, remember there's excessive um, thyroid metabolism. So we can see diaphoresis, which we know is that really severe sweating, fine, soft, silky body hair, smooth, warm, moist skin, thinning of scalp hair, palpitations, chest pain, increase in systolic blood pressure, tachycardia, dysrhythmias, rapid shallow respirations, weight loss, and they lose weight despite an increased appetite, increased number of stools, blurred or double vision, eye fatigue, increased tearing of the eyes, they can get red conjunctiva of the eyes, photophobia, so sensitivity to lights, um, they can get some eyelid retraction, an eyelid leg, um, where there's some, some things where the eyes aren't totally being covered. They can also have hyperactive um, deep tendon reflexes, tremors, insomnia, heat intolerance, a low-grade fever, fatigue, decreased attention span, restlessness, irritability, emotional instability or that lability, in manic behavior. <clears throat> um, there can also be amenorrhea, meaning that they don't have um, a period, um, increased libido, uh, a goiter, if I didn't say that already, enlarged spleen, muscle weakness, and wasting. Now with the hyperthyroidism, we can also do blood tests looking for uh, TSH, so depending on the cause will depend on whether or not that's high. T3 and T4 would be increased. And we could also check for antibodies in the blood. Uh, we can do an ultrasound of the thyroid or a thyroid scan where we do the radioactive iodine. And then remember with those cardiac issues, um, either hypo or hyperthyroidism, we could do EKG testing for dysrhythmias for complications. Now, the big complication I want you to know for hyperthyroidism is called thyroid storm or thyrotoxic crisis. Now, this is a life-threatening event secondary to uncontrolled hyperthyroidism. Um, and two of the um, kind of hallmark signs and symptoms are high fever and severe hypertension. So if you have somebody that we're suspecting this with, you're going to monitor their vital signs much more frequently. If we detect a temperature elevation of even one degree Fahrenheit, it could be an indication of thyroid storm. We're going to be monitoring the cardiac status, watching for anxiousness, tremors, confusion, 
and it can even progress to seizures um, as, as it keeps going on. And it can be triggered by stressors like infection, DKA, and pregnancy. And so helping the patient to maintain stress and coping is important to help decrease the risk for developing a thyroid storm. Other things um, to do when caring for somebody during a, a thyroid storm is keeping the environment cool and quiet, decreasing stress, um, monitoring that vital signs, especially that temperature, ECG monitoring, and they shouldn't take, um, people with thyroid problems shouldn't take salicylates, um, like which means aspirin, because that can actually cause a, a storm. So interventions, we're going to do the apical pulse, um, which, you know, listening for that, that heartbeat for a full minute, vital signs, decreasing that stimulation, and trying to promote comfort. Now, there are some medications that we can give that are kind of what we would consider um, anti-thyroid medication. There's two common ones, um, purple thyroracil, it's also known as PTU, and methimazole. Now, both of these medications help to block the thyroid hormone production, T3 and T4 produced, and um, that can help the patient go into that euthyroid state. Now, there's a lot of teaching that goes with these medications. Um, with both of these, they can have a decreased immune response. So we're going to need to teach them signs of infection, good hand washing, avoiding crowds and ill people, monitoring their heart rate for um, it dropping slow, weight gain and cold intolerance, because that could tell us that the dose needs to be decreased because they're becoming hypothyroid. Now, with PTU there can be liver issues. And so um, we don't use that one quite as much. And we would teach them to report dark urine or um, starting to appear jaundice. And then methimazole, um, it's important for them not to take that while they're pregnant because there can be birth defects. Now there's another medication called uh, Lugol solution. And this solution has iodine in it. And you either get the patient the PTU or the methimazole, and then about an hour leg, you follow up with the Lugol solution. And the um, body doesn't keep producing that extra T3 and T4. Um, the Lugol solution is like high in iodine. And so um, by taking that with those other medication, it really helps to slow down that production. Um, it's more of a short-term fix, although it's really beneficial to do prior to surgery. Because think about it, if, if you have somebody who already has hyperthyroidism and then we go in there and do surgery, they're at a definite risk for having that storm just from the manipulation of the thyroid. Now, another um, thing is radioactive iodine. I've kind of talked about that. Um, it is radioactive, just as in the name it says, and it has iodine. And it's um, an oral um, iodine-131. And the thyroid takes up the radioactive iodine, and then that kills some of the cells by the radiation. So um, the person does have some radioactivity present in the body, um, in their bodily fluids for a few weeks. And then there needs to be some radiation precautions to protect um, themselves and family members, really the family members. So some teaching that we would include would be 
Um, if possible, we'd really want them to use their own toilet um, that nobody else is using for at least two weeks if possible. They should sit down to urinate, whether they're male or female. They should really flush the toilet multiple times after they use it to really get rid of that. Um, they should drink lots of fluids, and that's going to help with their kidney function, and we're going to be monitoring some kidney function labs. They should take a laxative on day two and day three to promote excretion because the radioactive iodine is actually excreted in the stool. And so if we get them to defecate, that's going to help them to get rid of that. Um, if they would spill the urine, they are supposed to clean it up special and then um, take that to the hospital so it can be discarded appropriately. They should wash their clothing separately for several weeks. And of course, they shouldn't be sharing toothbrushes, toothpaste, or, or personal items like that. They should avoid close contact with um, pregnant women and children for one week. And they need to stay three feet away, and they shouldn't have more than an hour a day. <coughs> they should also, if possible, use disposable plates, cups, and utensils. <coughs> Sorry about that. And then think about food. So if there's food like an apple, we really would want to cut that apple up <coughs> so that their mouth is not touching the core that then is going to be thrown away. Same thing like a chicken wings. That would not be a good option for them. Now they may have to receive two or three radioactive um, iodine treatments, or they might have surgery after the radioactive iodine, or in fact, they could have surgery and then the radioactive iodine. It just, it could happen a lot of different ways. <coughs> now, when patients have thyroidectomy um, removed, they usually have what's called a um, subtotal thyroidectomy meaning that they don't take all of the thyroid. They try to leave a little bit behind. And if you remember, the parathyroids kind of sit on top of the thyroids, and so they'll try to re-implant those parathyroids. But um, because they've messed with the parathyroids when they're doing thyroid surgery, um, there are some important things that we're going to need to monitor because that can, of course, affect their calcium regulation. So after thyroid surgery, there are some um, very specific special monitoring we have to do. One, we'd be monitoring for thyroid storm. Um, number two, <coughs> sorry guys, think of airway. And so um, where the thyroid is, so airway is going to be really important. Usually we would keep um, a trach set at the bedside and you're going to be monitoring for strider or shortness of breath. Um, of course, we're going to be monitoring for that um, decreased calcium levels. So uh, think about the tetany and the tingling, the Schwalbstedt and Trousseau. And if their calcium level drops, they may get calcium gluconate, IV. And then there is that risk for... <coughs> hypothyroidism and bleeding. And I did really well there till the end. And um, 
and the cough just really just kicked in. So I'm sorry for all the hacking, but I've been sick for over a week now. So I hope this was helpful. I know there's a lot with thyroid and um, I look forward to talking about it with you in class.